The scripture for today's sermon comes from John 15, verses 1 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is God's word to us. Thanks, be to God. Thanks, Tally. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dave. If I, I haven't met you yet, I'm just one of the pastors here at Frontline. And today we are kicking off a new series that we're going to be going through over the summer called Rhythms of Grace. And so this, uh, this year thus far, we wrapped up the book of Mark, which we were in for like 44 weeks. And then we were in the book of Jude for about four weeks. And so now we are kicking off this series that we're going to be going through over the summer Rhythms of Grace, and it's, you know, probably what in recent church history has been referred to as spiritual disciplines, what historically in the church has been called uh, means of grace. And so we're, we're going to just spend the summer studying, examining, looking at scripture, and looking at really these gifts from the Lord that are here to help us as we follow and encounter, and uh, as we're going to see, abide in Jesus. And so um, lots of places we could go, but we're going to spend this morning in one of my wife's very, very, very favorite places in all the Bible, John 15, as Tally just read. So as usual, I'll pray for y'all. You pray for me. We're in it together. So let's pray with each other for one another, and we'll jump in. So Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, and we thank you that we get to be here together, friends and, and family of God, And so we know that you, Father, are speaking to your kids right now, speaking through your word. Holy Spirit, that you're on the move in us and through us. And so we ask, as as we usually ask, that you just help us, Spirit, be present, that we would be humble, that we would have open ears and hearts to receive what you have for us today. And I, I genuinely pray simply that you just help me help my friends that each and every one of us would lift our eyes to see the wonder of your your grace and the good news of who you are Jesus and what you've done we pray all this Jesus in your name God's people said amen I was reminded this week again as I kind of was landing on John 15 
of this story I heard years ago that my, my mind returns back to you because it was such an intense moment. Um, and I, I find myself just imagining if I was there. It was this moment at the very height of the Cold War, this, this constant severe tension between Soviet Russia and the United States. And the very climax, the very summit of that was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And people who are actually here in this moment have gone on to, to talk about it. A guy named Victor Galinsky wrote about it in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, which is not normal reading for me. But he said basically there was a, a moment where nuclear war seemed just unavoidable and imminent. And so there's this underground headquarters called the Strategic Air Command in Nebraska, out in the middle of nowhere, and the commander in charge told anybody that was present that they weren't allowed to leave. No one was allowed to enter in. And he said that uh, to his staff there that he expected an order any moment to launch nuclear missiles and also expected that the Soviets would return in a nuclear attack and that he didn't expect anyone in that bunker to survive. And so in the midst of that intensity, he said, you all have a moment to make one phone call. So what do you, what do you say in that situation? Who do you, who do you call? What, what do you share? What's on your heart? If you just have a moment where you believe that you're staring death in the face, like what are you carrying in your heart that you long to express? Things that are most precious, most in need of sharing, Right? So with that in mind, think about these words that we just read in John 15, because in a real way, that, that helps kind of convey what's happening in the ministry and the life of Christ here. Jesus is in his final hours before he heads to the cross to lay down his life. He had just been in the upper room eating his final meal with his disciples. He's right now walking the short distance to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the words spoken by Jesus here in the 15th chapter of John are among the last words that he's going to share with these friends that he dearly loves, that he's been pouring into for three years, his disciples. This portion of scripture is known as Jesus's farewell discourse. And what we know to be true is that this actually isn't going to be the final meal Jesus eats. In John 21, we're going to read about him having breakfast with Peter on a beach and his other disciples. That he's going to lay his life down, but after three days, he's going to take it back up again. That he's going to conquer death. That he will spend time with his disciples post-grave. He's going to conquer death and appear to hundreds of people teaching, directing, proclaiming his victory over sin, Satan, and death. And yet there is in these final chapters of John this intensity and this urgency that Jesus is sharing in his heart before he goes and lays his life down and brings an end to his ministry here on earth. And so as we take a look of what Tally just read so well, there's, there's a theme, there's something that we see that is, is just coming again and again that Jesus is longing to make crystal clear in these final words. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He goes on to say, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Ten times here in seven verses, Jesus uses this word, this, this call for our lives, this command to abide in him. And so he, in his urgency, in his intensity, in his longing for the disciples to grasp truth here in these moments, he's painting a profound picture of what he desires for our lives. What's the greatest call on our lives? What's the purpose of our lives? What's, what is God's desire for us? Jesus is going to express it urgently and profoundly and with passion and clarity here to abide This is a picture of the very heart of the Christian life. It's a picture of grace. Jesus is the vine. He's doing the work. He's providing the life. He's the very source of life. Yet we're called to do something in light of that. In John 15, we're told to abide, 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 abide ten times again and again. We're called to abide so that we can flourish, that we can have real, deep, and true life that can only bring about as we make our home abide in Jesus. And it struck me even this morning that like the only time I ever use that word abide is when I'm referring to this chapter. Like I've never texted it to anybody. I've never used it in conversation with my three-year-old. Like come abide in my lap as we read this book, you know? It's not a word we use. What does abide mean? It seems very religious, very spiritual. It's, it has deep and rich meaning. It means literally, in a way, to, to make your home in. To make your home in. To abide in the vine means to, to fully plant, to fully build, to fully set, take root. As we look at our lives, that our lives would be fully entrusted in the love of of God and his authority for us. It means that that we inhabit the love of Christ as he inhabits us, that he produced in his life the love and the grace and the spirit, that those those things begin to take root and, and shape and form and are expressed that love through our lives, through our ongoing just trust and and leaning in dependence of him. In light of that, I want us to really look just briefly as we consider this portion of scripture in John 15, and as we kind of set a trajectory for where we're going to be all summer, look at four things that are going to help us kind of understand why we're going to be in this series, Rhythms of Grace. And the first thing I want us to see is Jesus' call here to abide in me. So why is, why is he so emphatic? Why is he so serious? Why is he driving this home again and again? Why is he communicating the need to abide so much? It's because the stakes are so high. First, it's impossible, Jesus is going to say, to, to bear fruit apart from abiding in Jesus. Verse 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In me. 
I am the vine, Christ says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus clearly and passionately is, is, is calling us for a life of flourishing. He's saying, I long for you to have growth and goodness, goodness and, and godliness. I want you in your life to produce life and be a, a source of life to others that people would see you and your life and they would see me at work in you. And that only is possible if you make your home in me. Second, he says, bearing fruit is how we know that our discipleship with Jesus, our following Jesus, is real. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples in verse 8. To follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God means that God's work in and through us is to, to bear fruit. Our lives produce goodness of God for the goodness of others. And then Jesus brings a warning, thirdly, and he he says, um, if a branch doesn't abide, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, again, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Christ is saying, look, there's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't made their home in Jesus. Whose life over time isn't producing fruit that's evidence of God bringing about the goodness that comes as we make our home in Christ and in Christ alone. And that leads to the greatest threat, the concern that Christ has for us. Jesus' caution that we make our home in the world. The opposite of abiding in Jesus, making our our home in him, is to make our home in other places. To abide in Christ means to make our home in God. The opposite of that is to make our home in the world. And I don't mean like earth. I mean, we all literally live here on this planet. We have a physical address, right? The goal of the Christian life isn't to escape or transcend real places or real people. By world, I mean disordered desires, Counterfeit loves. By world, I mean like a vision for the good life that's actually void of God's goodness and God's will. John, in his first letter to the church, put it this way in 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's echoing Christ's heart here in John 15. I think it was this Friday night. I uh, it's pretty close to four a.m. on the dot, and I don't normally wake up at four a.m. <laughs> but I woke up wide awake at four a.m. And so I'm, I was just wondering, like, what woke me up? Why am I wide awake all of a sudden? And I realized it was a noise that woke me up. And what happened was the wind. I don't know if any of y'all heard this, but the wind was so ferocious outside Friday night where I lived that uh, it was just intense. I could hear things like being knocked around outside. So like any good Oklahoman in the face of bad weather, I went outside to check it out because that's what we do. Need to experience it firsthand to get my Damon Lane on and see it with my own eyes. I can storm chase in my boxers in my own street, right? 
so I just walked out by myself, and I begin to just see how windy it is. And as I'm standing in the middle of the street, I hear just like what sounds like a gunshot. It's a crack, right? And it's tree branches being broken. And I realize, well, I'm standing under like a 50-foot tree. I should probably go back inside in this moment. In the morning, I, I wake up, and I see that actually it was my neighbors uh, across the street. It was their oak tree. One of their oak trees was just broken. I mean, you could not put your arms around that thing, and yet that wind was so ferocious, it just snapped it. And my poor neighbor just stood there for like 10 minutes looking at it with his arms on his hip. The point is this. Like in, in life, each and every one of us find ourselves in the midst of storms in the night. And we all seek shelter in the midst of storms. We realize we're standing in unsafe places. We're at risk. And so we, we run inside somewhere. The question is where? So just imagine some of you are facing profoundly hard things right now. Your parents, and you're, you're facing hard situations with your children. Your children, you're facing hard situations with parents. You have relationships that are fracturing. You have struggles that you're in the midst in. And on a spiritual level, you're in the midst of storms in the night. You feel as if you're out in the open. Winds are raging. Trees are snapping around you. Where do you run for shelter? Where do you go to make your home? Where do you abide? Do you run to financial security? Is that where you think you're going to find shelter in that storm? Do you, do you look at your reputation or your influence as a place that's going to offer refuge? Do you think fulfilling your, your sexual longings and identity that are apart from God's good design, is that the place that actually you feel like you'll find security? Consider the words of Jesus here in Matthew 7. Listen to what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had, had been built on a foundation that was the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. See, the urgency of Christ in these words, why he's being so emphatic, in fact, why he's so passionate, why he's calling us to abide in him is because he knows that each and every one of us are abiding creatures. We cannot not abide. It's what we do. Our very essence, our very nature is to make our home in something, to seek shelter in something, to set up shop, to live our lives under the cover and in, in, in inhabiting something. In the heart of every human, we're home beacons. We're constantly searching for a place of life and pleasure and joy and meaning and, and freedom and significance. We seek what the Bible says is shalom, peace, and purpose. And Jesus knows we're in this searching, and so that's why he's calling again and again and again to his followers to, to abide in him. See, in these verses, we see Jesus' desire for us, Jesus' concern, the fuel behind these words. 
It's the third thing we need to see. And, and what's driving Jesus is a desire for us to know joy. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser, he says in verse 1. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, he says in verse 9. And listen to, listen to this portion of teaching from Jesus, how it concludes. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What is Jesus' desire for us? that we would have his joy in us and that our joy, deep-rooted, transcending circumstance, hope and love and, and happiness that is like unshakable rock, that we would have that full because we have made our home in him. And what's so sweet about what Jesus is saying here is it's, it's showing us the heart of the Father. The Greek word for vine dresser here literally means far, farmer. The, the Father is portrayed as this farmer, a gardener. See, Jesus isn't just giving us a metaphor for ourselves as branches as, and himself as a vine. He's giving us a picture of the Father's heart towards us, that he's loving and thoughtful and working intentionally to cultivate us to flourishing and fruit because he wants us to have joy. See, we learn at the very beginning of Scripture in, in uh, Genesis 3 when we, our, our parents, Adam and Eve, they, they rebel against God's love. They reject the source of life itself. That What comes about that is thorns and thistles. And that makes sense because when we run from God in rebellion, we run from life, we run to death, and we find ourselves in, in desert places. Places absence of life, places, places absent of the, the living water of who God is. And, and Jesus here is saying, look, the Father's heart is to be like a farmer that takes us from these dry places and plants us once again in a garden of his presence for our flourishing. And he's going to wisely prune us and cultivate us to be full of the joy that we can only find in him. And Jesus is going to say here that the good news that he's offering isn't just his life given and his death on the cross and his conquering death through the resurrection. That is central to the Christian faith. But, but there's also good news in what he's calling us to do. The good news of Jesus extends to everything that he, he commands us to do. Jesus' vision for our sexuality is good news. There's life and flourishing there. Jesus' design for what it means to be a, a woman and what it means to be a man, femininity and masculinity, those, those things in him are, are good news. Even hard things about like what it means to forgive those that have hurt us. Jesus calls us to, to forgive because it's good news to, to be able to extend grace in light of the grace we've been given. To do the really hard work of actually praying for and loving an enemy. Why does Christ call us to that? Because it's, it's good. It's for our flourishing. It's for us to bear fruit. To be generous with what we've been given stewardship over, to serve others. That's all good news. It's why Christ desires those things for us. When we make our ultimate home in God, we're making our, our home in a beautiful garden instead of a dry desert where we're following his commands and, and experiencing the flourishing and the life that he has for us. 
which just leads us to where we're going to just set on, on a path together this summer. And the final thing that, that we need to see and the reason we're in the 15th chapter of John today. The fourth thing is that as we experience these rhythms of grace, they're like trellis for our spiritual growth. So as we abide in Jesus, as we live out these rhythms of grace that we're going to talk about over the summer, just like a, a vine that grows and bears fruit, I think we have a picture that latches on, that takes hold of something to help facilitate its growth. That's what these practices that we're going to look at over the summer will help us do. Things in our life, gifts from God that help us grow in our love for Jesus. Verse 10 again, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, grace is a gift, but grace also works in us for us to live lives of action where we, we do something. See, we're called to keep Jesus' commands as a means of abiding in his love. The Christian life requires action on our part, and it's actions that's, that's fueled by grace and empowered by the Spirit, but it still requires things of us to do something. Author Dallas Willard, he, he put it like this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with the forgiveness of sins alone. The transformation of the inner being is as much more, is as much or more a gift of grace as is our justification before God. Of course, neither one is wholly passive. To be forever lost, you only need to do nothing. But stay stay your course. God is not going to pick us up by the seat of our pants, as it were, and throw us into a transformed kingdom living or into holiness. What, what Pastor Willard's saying here is that, look, the Christian life is a life of action on those that follow Jesus. Following literally means that you're, you're doing something, that you're moving, that you're moving towards Jesus. And the, the trellis, the things that we take hold of, that are rhythms of grace, are things that we take hold of, that they're a means of grace, and they're in our actions, empowered by grace, a place that Jesus meets us where we experience that joy that he's called us to. So over the summer, we're going to look at things like prayer, things like reading scripture, things like the gift of gospel community and and the gift of gathering as a church and the gift of things like silence and solitude, things like fasting, things like generosity. And all of these things we'll see function as, as a trellis for us to, to, to help us grow and make our home in God. And the bottom line, if one thing, if you remember one thing from this morning, and you're like, hey, why are we in this topical series on, on spiritual disciplines, on rhythms of grace over the summer? What's, what's the point? Listen to the words of Pastor John Piper. Enjoying Jesus is not like the icing on the cake of the Christian life. Enjoying Jesus is like the powder in the shell. That our aim is to invite us to experience explosive joy in Jesus that helps us grow and mature, that meets us in our darkness and suffering, that 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 reminds us of the shelter and the refuge we have as we make our home 
in God. And this is, this is just me personally. Like anytime historically that I've read a book uh, on the spiritual disciplines or even heard a message on it or what have you, read, it, read an article, there's just something in me that always feels a little overwhelmed that I'm just like a, kind of a junior varsity Christian, right? <laughs> I'm just like, man, I just... I'm so bad at these, right? I could, I could do more, and I, I, I feel like I've been handed a to-do list that I, I'm bad at checking the boxes of. And maybe there's like a place to actually experience some real conviction there and to, to grow in that, but, but I think in, in the healthiest and the truest way, to look at spiritual disciplines, to look at habits of grace, they are duty. They are things that we're called to do, but it's like a convergence of duty and delight. Like the, the picture that came to mind this week is when my son, my oldest boy who turned 10 this week, who's so awesome and is always talking to me about Dude Perfect videos, um, that, that there are moments where I go to my son and I say, hey, Anderson, it's time to come outside and play catch. And I'm his father, and I'm not telling him that that's an option. I'm actually saying, hey, I'm commanding you. I'm calling you to do something, and you must do it. But actually, the thing that I'm calling him to do is delightful, and he loves it. It's a place to engage in the love of his father where we grow close together. And what I find fascinating that I also thought about this week, just because where we began was really the intensity of Jesus in his final moments on this earth before he experienced laying his life down on the cross and then conquering death through the, uh, through the resurrection. He, he shares the, the urgency of wanting to abide, needing to abide as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. And yet what I've experienced as a pastor that has deeply blessed me is anytime I have the honor of walking with somebody who is facing like an imminent death, who's, who is terminal and for whatever reason they know that they have weeks or months to live. And there's a few times in my whatever 14 years of ministry where I've had the, the deep honor of living alongside and walking alongside a brother or sister who's in that place, what, what struck me this week and what I was reminded of is that what they desire most, more often than not, is to actually just rest in and move towards and linger in these rhythms of grace. When they know that their time on this earth is coming to an end, what, what they deeply desire is, is to read scripture more. To, to engage in the, the gospel community of the church to a greater degree. To spend more time praying. To give more generously, holistically of what they have and who they are. Each and every one of these in some degree I've seen again and again. People who know that their time on this earth is coming to an end. What they lean towards. What they long to do with their final days. Are these rhythms of grace. And why? Why is that? Because empowered by the Spirit, what they long for more than anything is to know the joy of Jesus as they prepare to go see him face to face. It's not like cramming for some test, like, oh, I gotta get this stuff in before I see Jesus face to face. It's, I realize where I'm heading and I wanna even taste that now as I'm journeying there. And so in our days as a church, with the time that we have left, what I long for us to have 
as a congregation is a, a deeper and deeper and deeper formidable joy that can only be found in Christ Jesus, his joy in us. And so why will we spend the summer leaning into exploring these rhythms of grace? It's because we want to experience more of the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. So let's pray that that would be true. Let's stand together. I'm reminded, Father, of, of, as one author said, um, as we seek to explore you, (laughs) um, that our view of you, Jesus, is, is so often too small. You are grander and more majestic and bigger, and there is more wonder to be found in you than our hearts and minds can, can fathom. And so we simply pray together as a church that you would, you would take these days that belong to you, that you have gifted us, and these, these Sundays as we gather over the summer, as we explore ways to, to encounter you, means of grace, things that... that are like a dinner table that we come to and we can converse with our Heavenly Father and our big brother Jesus by the power of the Spirit. That you would help us not see that as just duty, but but deeper than that, delight. Places to encounter the love of God. Not places of shame or drudgery, but, but places of wonder and joy. And that we would see them as open doors to step through to experience the love and the joy of Christ Jesus. And so we just simply pray that you would do a special work in in helping us all grasp together a deeper joy that is ours in our Savior and our Lord. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Together we say, amen.